How do you choose which university to go to when all of them are knocking on your door? We've got Girls Runner of the Year for the state of Texas, Colleen Stegman, on the show today to answer that exact question. We're also unveiling the dark-sided act press guy and talking about how un-American drafts really are. Welcome to episode two of Quarantine Conversations here on FridayNightGlory.com. great to be back. We've decided to move sets, um, get outdoors, and uh, get some fresh air. I just wanted to thank y'all for listening to episode one. It was a great response. Um, I'm so glad y'all enjoyed it. Uh, we decided to ramp it up this year, and uh, or this episode, um, and get one of the best runners in the nation. Colleen Segman is going to be on the show later today, as I mentioned before. But first, let's not waste any time and get right into some headlines. Okay, so our first story is a story we missed out about an hour, legitimately. Uh, we recorded on, we record on Mondays, and so we recorded the episode, and then this news came out, and I was... Dang it, but um, Prosper Police reported that da uh, Cowboy star quarterback Dak Prescott um, was found hosting a party at his weekend, uh, which was now two weekends ago. Um, this shocked me, and believe me, people know who have known me for a long time that I've been very critical of the Cowboys organization. Um, I don't like the way they handle business. I, I don't like a lot about their team and you won't see me wearing a star across my chest anytime soon but one thing I could never criticize was the way in which star quarterback Dak Prescott conducted himself until now Dak Prescott has supposedly been frustrated with the media's coverage of this situation and gone on TV saying it was less than 10 people it's not a big deal I could not disagree more. Whether it's less than 10 people, whether it's 30 people, there is guidelines put in place for the safety of America as a whole. And you, being a public figure, an influencer, have an important role in following those guidelines. And doing that is a disservice. Furthermore, if you were frustrated with the way the media was covering this, I don't understand why you wouldn't have learned your lesson from the first time. That's right, Dak Prescott, this isn't the first time you've been caught red-handed. In fact, you posted on social media earlier in March a picture of you arm-in-arm with Des Bryant and Ezekiel Elliott showing y'all working out. Now y'all aren't living together and thereby you received poor response from taking that action. So if you were unhappy with the way it was perceived, then don't put yourself in a position to where those same comments can be made a second time. Because all you're showing people is that you're just as ignorant as they thought you were and you don't care a 
about anything that's going on right now. Now, there's a lot of noise going on right now um, about whether this will affect whether he can get re-signed. And let's be real here. This is Jerry Jones. This is a man who got tons of media coverage for the Cowboys when they didn't even make the playoffs. They were talked about every week during the playoffs, and they weren't even in it. Jerry Jones doesn't care whether it's good or bad reflecting on his team. He just cares that his team is being talked about. It's why they've kept Ezekiel Elliott despite his bad behavior. But Dak has put himself in an interesting position. Because whether or not they really care about this, this can totally be used to justify any decision they make about not re-signing Dak. And at a time when you don't know that you'll be playing for the Cowboys next year, I feel like it would be vital that you're on your best behavior. Anyway, um, let's move on to our next story. This one comes... Um, well, this one's a little exciting. It's uh, Last week, we talked about the XFL's sudden closure and what we were going to do with Globe Life Park. Um, it's our first follow-up on the story. Uh, we actually now know uh, Arlington ISD has announced that they will be um, utilizing Globe Life Park uh, for 14 regular season football games for their uh, various six high schools across the city. They will also be offering up the venue for postseason games all the way up to the state semi-finals. Um, uh, now, let me be clear, this is uh, Dallas Renegades home and former um, Rangers home Globe Life Park, not the new Globe Life Field, which was uh, falsely reported by some news outlets. Um, whether this was uh, talked about before or after the XFL's closure, I still think this is an amazing opportunity for more athletes in the state of Texas to play in these first class venues. Um, you know, when the star um, kind of first happened, quote unquote, um, people thought it was such a cool experience um, for these athletes to call that their home. And we're seeing more and more uh, school districts finding a way to give these athletes those um, really once in a lifetime opportunities to call um, world-class venues their home. Um, now, I was curious uh, if this would replace playoff games at the start. And what I mean by that is uh, the Ford Center has become a athlete favorite for playoff games. Whenever there's a playoff game, teams tend to fight over getting to play at the star, um, typically. There are obviously some um, outliers, but... I went online and found a survey which actually found that a overwhelming majority would still rather play at the start in Frisco. Now that's not to demean anything that any opportunity that these Arlington ISD kids are getting at Globe Life Park, but I did find it interesting that despite this new opportunity, many people would still prefer the um, dome that is uh, Jerry World. 
Uh, our next story um, is a little bit of soccer news, uh, so we'll see how this goes over. Um, but Liga Emekis, the top division of soccer over in Mexico, has suspended promotion and relegation for the next five years. For those who are unfamiliar, promotion and relegation, or more commonly known as Pro-Rel, is a set of rules um, specifically in soccer which rotate the teams in the top division dependent on their um, success as a team. Uh, an example we can kind of imagine in the United States is if we had the 30 MLB teams and, for example, Seattle finished last, but the Frisco Rough Riders finished first of the MLIB. Obviously, this isn't a realistic example, but those two teams would switch, and that's how um, it works soccer globally. It's actually in FIFA's bylaws that you have these rules set up in your league. Uh, two nations that have never followed those rules are, of course, the United States and Australia, and um, we can kind of dive into the various lawsuits that have happened as a result of it, but um, that's a whole nother story. Um, it's interesting, though, because earlier this year, we had reports that uh, Liga Emekis would be merging with Major League Soccer um, for a Superliga-type league where um, the, or I guess what they were calling it was North American Super League, but basically it's a big league with the best teams in soccer all across North America. Um, and at the time, I didn't really give any credit to anything this was saying, uh, primarily because um, MLS's rapid expansion um, was just nowhere near close to where you could support something like that. Uh, you know, MLS is at 30 teams announced right now. We're looking at 32, 34. Don Garber has no limits on how many teams he'll put into the league. And so it's fascinating to see how many he'll actually um, put. But to think that we could add another 18 or 20, I don't remember exactly how many are in Liga Emekis, but if all those teams are together, it just feels like an oversaturated league, and a league in which would actually have promotion relegation as a necessity, not as option. Without further ado, I talked to Colleen Stegman earlier this morning. Here's what she had to say. Hey guys, I have the pleasure of sitting down with 5A state champion and Texas Girls Runner of the Year as named by a sports drink company, which I've been told not to say on air. Uh, we're going to welcome Reedy Cross Country and Tracks, Colleen Segman. Colleen, how are you doing this morning? Good, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. It's our pleasure. <laughs> so, Obviously, I guess we should start by addressing the elephant in the room. Um, what were you thinking when you heard Greg Abbott's announcement and the subsequent UIL announcement that school and high school athletics would not be continuing this year? Um, obviously, it was hard to hear. Um, I think at that point, it was, it was pretty much expected. Um, that way, we wouldn't be able to continue giving the, 
the situation, but obviously I think it was the right decision, um, but still disappointing. So, Of course. Uh, we'll come back and address the current situation a little bit, but I want to talk about your record-breaking cross-country season this year. Um, mm -hmm. How did you feel about your performance, first of all? Um, I thought it went really well. Honestly, the season went pretty much as well as I could have asked for or wanted it to go. Um, so it's definitely kind of a dream season. Uh, so I'm always curious about this. Often you are so far ahead of competitors <laughs> while racing. And so I just want to know what, he, what goes through your mind while racing and what keeps you um, pushing yourself when no one else is even behind you to push you? Um, honestly, just, I guess the thought of trying to be run the best I can run the best time. Um, this year I was fortunate enough to be in a lot of competitive races. So that wasn't the case very often. Um, this year, definitely in the past, it's kind of just like a mind game and really mental, um, just working on pushing, you know, my mental limits almost more than my physical. For sure. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the Reedy girls cross country team went to NXR South and you went to Nike cross nationals. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about both those experiences and like, what was it like? Um, NXR was super fun. Um, obviously having, um, some of the girls from the team there it was a super fun experience. Um, it's obviously really fun running a competitive race and all the Nike, uh, gear and everything. Um, so NXR was really fun. I had a really good race, um, which was awesome. I mean, obviously qualifying was just so, like, so cool and awesome. Um, and then NXM was crazy. Like, uh, it was definitely probably so far one of the coolest um, moments of my running career and just getting to meet all those girls and, like, get all the gear and, and then obviously running the race. It was just, like, kind of a – just such a cool experience. Totally. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, you received the highest award at the state level for cross-country being named Runner of the Year. Can you tell us about how and when you kind of found that out? Um, so, yeah, so I found out I was a finalist for the award, um, I think, like, a couple of weeks prior. Um, and then I, they said it would be announced that day. It was, like, a Monday morning, but obviously I, I was up at, like, 6 in the morning. I was not thinking about it, you know, kind of wasn't on my mind. So we're just doing our long run. Um, I was running with some of the girls on our team. Coach Watts has been biking with us. And all of a sudden she pulls out her phone and I figured, you know, we're pretty active on social media. So I said, oh, we're just getting a video. You know, it's one of the first long runs of the season. Like we're just gonna get some content for the Instagram and the Twitter. I don't really think anything of it. And then um, she's like, hey girl, I just want to tell you you're running with, you know, the, <laughs> the unnamed sports drink um, player of the year and I, I was like shocked I was like huh like did she say that um, but it was a really cool moment especially having all my teammates there um, who have been you know obviously some of my closest friends and have been a big help and then obviously my coach um, it was just a really special moment. Uh, so I'm not sure how much of this you have shared publicly but uh, being friends with you and your family uh, I know that you've kind of been sought out by uh, many division one universities um, and gone on a couple visits can you give us a little insight on what you are looking for from a university and a collegiate team and uh, how you're going to choose which school you go to next fall um yeah so I guess uh, for me the, the big things are I definitely want a school with obviously good athletics good running program um and then good academics um you know obviously that degree that I am going to get is going to be really important um so definitely want to place with good um education and then um I think right now 
Um, I'm leaning a little bit more towards a college town. I'm not 100% certain on that, but just from the campuses I've visited, I think that's something that appeals to me. Um, and then somewhere with like a little bit warmer weather. I'm a fan of the, the freezing cold. So uh, weather's probably like the lowest like thing out of those four, but um, obviously a little nicer weather and a little bit uh, more southernish probably. Have you given any thought into what degree you uh, might be pursuing? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, a, you know, trying to figure that out, but. Mm. So uh, let's get back, obviously, to the current situation. Um, can you kind of tell us about how Coach Watts has been uh, trying to keep y'all active and keep pushing y'all uh, despite not even being able to be within six feet of y'all. Yeah, so, um, you know, she does a great job, like, keeping up with our training. So she sends us, like, a training um, plan every week, and then we submit a log, you know, at the end of that week. Um, so, like, training-wise, that's what we do. And then um, we've been doing lots of Zoom calls. So we did a team Zoom call um, right when um, school got canceled after spring break. We did one. And then um, we have, like, little track families with, like, seven, eight girls. Um, so we FaceTime each like family FaceTimed her just a few weeks later to talk about how things were going and whatnot. And then just this week, like the varsity girls, we had a, um, a Zoom call with her and we just did like our strength mobility, just kind of chat and like catch up and I'm um, just trying to stay in contact as much as possible and just keep working on like that team culture and team atmosphere, even though we can't, you know, physically be with each other. Yeah, I, obviously that culture is important to team culture is important to keep up. Um, so what specifically in terms of training um, have you been doing to stay in shape? Obviously, you don't necessarily need a gym to uh, <laughs> keep running, but. Yeah, so yeah, running we're pretty lucky because, you know, we don't have to uh, have a gym. We can all still do our sport. Um, but yeah, I've been doing I'm pretty much sticking to the same training schedule as usual. Um, so we just kind of do you know, long run, two workouts, two recovery runs, and a medium long run every week. Um, so training-wise, nothing's really changed other than obviously all our runs are, are solo. Um, and then we pretty much do, um, you know, like our, our core exercises, um, some strength mobility, um, some like body weight kind of stuff. And yeah. So uh, can you kind of talk to us about your last track meet and what was going through your mind? Obviously, I can't imagine it was this, but. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, like, at that point, I really don't think anyone had really realized, like, oh, gosh, like, this is so serious. Like, obviously, we knew about it, but right. it's kind of crazy that at that time, we, you know, it was a big meet. There's so many kids right next to each other now, you know. I mean, that's just, like, unthinkable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we – it was just, it was, you know, we were all having fun. Like, I mean, I don't really think anyone would have believed you if you said that I've been the last meet of the year. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a really fun meet, actually. Um, it was kind of a different setup, so we really got to, uh, you know, cheer on all our teammates and whatnot because um, they kind of flipped the way the meets normally run. Um, personally, it was not the best race for me. I was feeling a little, but um, yeah, it was just, it's kind of crazy to look back and think that that was the end of our track season. Yeah. So um, y'all were uh, fortunate enough to actually compete once more after that. Um, there was this virtual track meet. Can you kind of explain to the viewers what that was about and uh, kind of how was it conducted? Um, yeah. So just, you know, kind of keep the competition between FISD, have some fun. Um, you know, obviously what we can't compete like right next to each other. Um, 
So, yeah, what we did is, you know, you had, like, a week to go out and um, run whatever. I think there was five distances. I think it was the 200, 400, 800, 1600, 3200. Um, and basically, um, you know, you just got to go out, choose whatever you wanted to run. Um, and then you kind of had to submit proof of, like, your watch or, you know, stopwatch or whatnot. Um, and then they kind of just totaled the points. Um, it was super fun. It's just a way for us, you know, kind of get a little competition in and just have some fun, so. So, obviously, you're very close with a lot of the people on the team. Can you kind of tell us w what the sentiment among the seniors is kind of right now? Um, obviously, they're bummed, you know, a lot of them, um, after having such a successful cross-country season, you know, they're really looking forward to closing out high school kind of with the bang. And, um, you know, as a team, we had, we, we had pretty big goals. Um, we had a great team this year. And, um, you know, these seniors are some of the people that kind of, you know, laid the foundation for the program, yeah. um, you know, years ago. And so obviously it's hard for them to, to not get to finish that out. But, um, you know, I think for them, um, you know, they just want us to keep, um, you know, the winning kind of tradition going and, and, you know, just kind of do it for them. Have y'all given any thought as to, obviously Frisco ISD has uh, said way back in early April that uh, we were going to stop all banquets and stuff, but have y'all given any thought about to like a virtual banquet or um, any kind of way to just a final recognition for those seniors? Um, I haven't heard anything about that. Um, I'm sure something's in the works. You know, Coach Watts is awesome about recognizing those uh, kids and all that, so I'm sure we'll do something. All right. Well, uh, I really appreciate uh, you sitting down with me today, Colleen. Is there anything else you want to share? Uh, no, I think I think that's everything. All right. Well, thank you for joining with me. When we come back, we're going to uh, take a deep dive into how un-American drafts really are. We'll be right back on FridayNightGlory.com. We of course want to thank Colleen again for coming on the show and we wish her the best as she begins to prepare for her final cross country season this fall. Um, as we transition from talking about one player of the year to another, uh, let's unpack the NFL draft. Um, it'll take place beginning Thursday evening with what we assume uh, to be the Cincinnati Bengals picking Joe Burrow with what we presume to be the first pick. And if you may have noticed, I've been using a lot of modifiers there, assume, presume, and you may be wondering why. Um, well, if we've learned anything from past drafts, we know nothing is certain and you should expect the unexpected. The Talking Eds over at ESPN, Fox Sports, and The Ticket would have you believe that it is indisputable. The Bengals will be picking Joe Burrow. There's some problems with that, though. I don't know if either party wants to be a part of the other party. I'm not suggesting that Joe Burrow isn't the best player in the draft pool. Um... In fact, I believe the exact opposite. He, th there's no question he is the best quarterback, the best player in this draft pool. But with certain comments made by Joe Burrow last week, 
Cincinnati may not want to take that risk of bringing in a player that's not going to be loyal to the organization. Um, now, originally I was going to do a deep dive based on this premise. Um, because I think it would be an interesting one to explore and who else would they draft and stuff like that. But one of Joe Burrow's comments caught my attention and I couldn't help but look into it and share with you what I thought. So for today's deep dive, uh, we're going to explore when the draft began, how it happens, and why it is both uniquely American and yet the most un-American part of sports. The NFL draft began on February 8th, 1936 at the Ritz-Carlton, Philadelphia. It was created in response to Stan Koska, a running back from the University of Minnesota who had just finished an amazing collegiate career and was looking into playing in the NFL. Because he was so highly coveted, however, he just sat back and waited for the biggest offer. That's what many players worldwide do today. It's why there's this thing called the transfer window in soccer because players just go wherever the money is and yes that tends to be the same couple of clubs. Um, however in the NFL there was one problem. There were really no other sports leagues, per se, that they were competing against. When we talk about soccer, there is a million and one leagues, from La Liga to Liga MX to Premier League to MLS. There's just too many. Bundesliga, there's... I could go on and on. But for the NFL, they didn't want their player, their teams to fight against one another except on the gridiron, of course. So what they did is they created a draft. That way, the player just went to whatever team chose them. Now, as the details were being worked out, Burt Bell, owner of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time, was getting a little bit frustrated. Uh, this is because he felt like because he wasn't able to get Stan Koska, um, he was going to be unsuccessful. His money wouldn't be able to do any um, because the dominant teams of the era, Bears, Packers, Giants, Redskins, uh, would be affecting his ability to sell tickets and merchandise and therefore hurting his bottom line. Uh, to fix this issue, he argued that the players that did the worst of previous season should get the highest draft picks. It was that simple. And the NFL unanimously agreed. So, all the owners signed, and the proposal was approved. Anyway, no one really batted an eye at this, even to this day, until the claims made by Joe Burrow. And these were fascinating to me. He said on ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, uh, when asked about playing for the Bengals organization, that he found it odd that in a capitalistic society, the biggest one being America, he found it odd that we sent the best players 
to the worst teams. Citing that, you know, with engineers, we don't send the best engineers of their class to the worst companies. They're obviously signed to the best companies. But in sports, it's uniquely American to have a draft. Now, the NFL argues that they do this to protect their team's investment to keep the league interesting. And is that true? Would teams just all of a sudden not want to compete, just leave the league if they felt like they weren't getting any of the best players? Well, I don't know. The English Premier League seems to have a rotating cast of teams who always want to burst into the sunlight, but they also have the same few teams who seem to win and win and win. Think Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City. So what we might have is if this draft wasn't instituted, the Packers still being the best team in the league every year. Am I saying that wouldn't happen? No, I don't know. But what you wouldn't also have if you had a draft, if you didn't have a draft, would be tanking. The idea of tanking is something that has become increasingly unpopular, popular by sports teams and increasingly hated against fans. If there was no option to, you know, tank and get the next, the best player next year, you would likely have teams competing to get those best players. But those players would also likely go to the best teams. Like I said, the Packers or up to date the Patriots. Here's what I'll say. I agree with Joe Burrow here. It is an interesting part of American sports, and I found it fascinating looking through all the parts of the NFL draft, kind of how it started, this and that. And you know, that being said, the draft is so deeply ingrained in American sports that it's not going to change, nor do I think it should. The NFL makes a ton of money off the NFL draft, especially now that they hold it in rotating cities. I uh, think Nashville, Vegas, these were all big projects that were going to bring in money. In terms of Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's a winner. And I think he's a little bit frustrated that he won't be going to a winning team. However, the idea that Joe Burrow won't be playing with the Bengals, I think, is ludicrous. Because any team that passes up Joe Burrow better prove that their quarterback can do the job tenfold better than what Burrow would have done for them. And the Bengals? Well, it's not even close. Anyway, I appreciate y'all for joining me for yet another episode of Quarantine Conversations. If you're listening to the audio version, you may not be aware that 
we're shooting in video. Um, check it out on the Friday Night Glory YouTube page, and if for those of you who are watching the video version, uh, we also post an audio version in case you gotta go run to the store, because that is the only place you should be going social distance. If you need more conversations from this quarantine, check out Maya, Maya Peterson in the Sports Isolation Podcast and Parker Turley in the PT Sports Podcast. From all of us here at Friday Night Glory, stay safe, and we'll see y'all next week.